Hello, I'm Jeffrey Mishlove, and today I thought I'd talk about the legacy of Aleister Crowley. It was on my mind because recently there have been discussions of psychedelics and the counterculture, the 1970s, Timothy Leary, who was at one time regarded as the most dangerous man in America. Well, Aleister Crowley, for those of you who may not know, was at one time talked about as the most evil man in the world. And yet, uh, he's an important cultural figure. Uh, back in the 1970s, I and many of my friends read his autobiography. He called it an autohagiography. In other words, the autobiography of a saint, which is something of a contradiction in terms, I think. I'm not aware of the fact that any saints actually wrote uh, autobiographies. I could be wrong. They probably did. I think so. The Confessions of St. Augustine. Maybe he modeled it like, like that. And in, in some ways, there's a parallel between Crowley and Augustine because Augustine uh, lived, as I recall, a decadent life and, as a youth. And, and then he uh, became a saintly man, a bishop of the church. <laughs> Crowley <laughs> lived a decadent life throughout. In fact, one of his uh, biographers claimed that Crowley's life from start to finish was completely dedicated to the artistic philosophy of decadence. And which was a very specific artistic philosophy, sort of uh, do everything that is unnatural. Well, and, and one might say that about Crowley in a certain way. And, and ironically, that makes him a heroic figure. Now, uh, I assume, of course, that <laughs> the viewers understand who Crowley was, but that's probably a mistaken assumption just because in my youth, I devoured the writings of Aleister Crowley, as did many of my friends, doesn't mean that uh, now, 50 years later, the, that the viewing audience here has any knowledge of the man at all. He's somewhat forgotten. He died in 1947, so and was born in 1875. He lived to the age of 72. He's mostly known as an occultist, a person who wrote about magic. But he's also known as a uh, person who advocated uh, free sex early on, and not just <laughs> not just heterosexual sex. He he believed that people should be free to express themselves sexually in any way they wished: heterosexual, homosexual, masturbation. But he went a step further because he developed sex magic rituals. He tried to combine sexuality with ritual magic. This was a major part of his writings and his practice. And in so doing, he felt that the focus of consciousness generated in the sexual act, the one-pointed focus of consciousness, particularly in orgasm, could be used for magical purposes. And by magical purposes, he meant the uh, manifestation of things that you might desire through an expression, a pure expression of your will. And he wrote extensively on uh, the topic of magic. 
One of his books is Magic in Theory and Practice. Another interesting title of his is Magic Without Tears. He was enormously prolific as a writer and Early on in his career, he joined an esoteric order that had great influence called the Order of the Golden Dawn. Amongst the other members of the order were William Butler Yeats, who uh, later won a Nobel Prize for his poetry. Now, Crowley was also a poet. Actually, he was a good poet in his early years. Now, he thought of himself as maybe the world's greatest poet. He saw himself <laughs> in a very egotistical way as, as the initiator of a new age. And in a sense, one might say that, maybe prematurely, but he envisioned that, that we were entering into a new aeon. That's what he called it, a new aeon, a new era. That uh, the prior era was the era of the great patriarchal religions, Buddhism, Islam, Christianity, Judaism. Uh, prior to that era was the era of the great matriarchal religions, the worship of the mother earth goddess across the earth. And he saw himself as initiating a new era based on the dictum, do what thou wilt. People should be free to follow the dictates of their own will. Now, that might seem like pure hedonism and pure decadence, and, and there are many reasons why it would seem that way, too, if you look carefully at Crowley's actual autobiography. I might mentioned parenthetically, he died as a heroin addict. Now, I don't know that that was so much his fault. Heroin was prescribed to him uh, by a medical doctor because he, he encountered many illnesses, syphilis, gonorrhea, uh, malaria, because he was also an explorer, a mountain climber. He traveled the world to many, many exotic locations, India and China. It's also said he was a double agent working for the British and the Germans in both World War I, I think, and also, well, I believe he uh, intended to continue that activity in World War II, but it, it, he wasn't accepted, and he was quite elderly at that point, and ill, I might add. But there's so much to be said about Crowley, actually. I know that he had a big influence on Timothy Leary. It's also the case that he designed, uh, in conjunction with one of his devotees, a uh, artist, Lady uh, Frida Harris, a beautiful tarot deck. It's a tarot deck uh, of, of modern art images, but uh, Crowley elaborated all the ancient esoteric meanings of it. As, as well. And it, it was <laughs> a deck widely used by people uh, in my youth. Well, Crowley also advocated the use of drugs in conjunction with magical rituals. And uh, I have, in previous segments, talked about my fascination in my youth with a magical grimoire called the Sacred Magic of Abra Moline. And this was central to Crowley's own magical spiritual interests. Uh, he founded a practice, uh, sometimes it's referred to as the OTO, the 
order templo orientalis, or sometimes referred to as thelema, the thelemic religion. But the idea was essentially follow your own will, do what you will. Don't worry about conventional mores. Don't be constrained by Christian morality, for example. In that sense, he, he was in agreement with Friedrich Nietzsche, the philosopher, but maybe taking it a step further, several. You could say that he was the archetypal tantric practitioner. You could, uh, well, let me continue though, because if you read his writings, actually he's saying that if you get in touch with your own will, and I think by that he meant your deep purpose, your entelechy, I've sometimes used the, that term, not the will of your ego to enjoy every kind of decadent pleasure. It gets confused, but perhaps the will of your deep spiritual purpose, your, your will to become the very best version of yourself. It seems as if Crowley started out in that direction. In his early life, he was a poet. He was a mountaineer, a world-class mountaineer. He climbed many famous mountains. And you have a sense of a man of enormous talent and enormous willpower climbing mountains mountains sometimes that no one else had climbed before, treacherous mountains. But then something happened <laughs> along the, the way, and, and you see this very high-spirited, individualistic person exploring mysticism uh, w w from a very modern perspective, trying to find, you know, the scientific value that might lie in it. What are human beings capable of accomplishing? Gradually descending into a, a lifestyle of uh, decadence. And as I read his writings in my youth, I was very impressed by a lengthy poem he wrote about how his own first wife, Rose, descended into insanity. She became an alcoholic. She is the one who encouraged him in some of his early magical explorations, but eventually her decadence was so severe, her mental illness, her alcoholism was so severe, he divorced her. And the grounds for the divorce was his own infidelities, of which there were many, because he, he was bisexual. He had great passion for his lovers. Uh, he could fall in love dramatically and powerfully, but then it was short-lived. It didn't last. The relationships all ended. And he was on to another new one because he had many disciples. His writings were not wildly popular in his own day, but you can say now, here we are 70-some years, I think, after his death, and many of his publications are still in print because uh, people in the counterculture uh, eat them up. He was a champion of sexual freedom. He was a champion of the freedom of people to express themselves hedonistically through drugs. He was a pioneer in the relationship of the occult to drugs and sex and magical rituals. Now, I have to say this, it didn't work out so well for him. He, he lived 
much of his life because he had inherited wealth. His father owned a brewery and he inherited, I think, uh, a third of his father's wealth at the age of 11 when his, his father died. His parents were devout Christians, actually, and I think he rebelled against that early on. He was sent to Christian schools, and he saw a kind of sadism in uh, the early Christian education he had with the Plymouth Brethren. Now, I could go on and on about Aleister Crowley because he was actually a big inspiration to me. Uh, in spite of uh, what we might call his, his many flaws, you have to admire the man's chutzpah for breaking every kind of taboo. And in, in, in a sense, he, he was surely a tantric practitioner. But as I say, he, he died as a heroin addict. I think he was relatively poor. Uh, in fact, poor many times throughout his life, but because he had a habit of always spending more money than he had. And uh, his, his habits of travel and spending were typically financed by his uh, devotees and disciples. And that, you know, that came and went. Didn't work out too well. I should also say this. Amongst his disciples, amongst the people who were practitioners of Crowley's style of magic and the organization that he's mostly associated with, the OTO, one of them was Jack Parsons, who ended up as a founder of Caltech, a rocket scientist. And interestingly enough, Jack Parsons also associated in those days with uh, L. Ron Hubbard, the founder of Scientology. So there's a direct link between Crowley and Scientology and between Crowley and the modern <laughs> space age, oddly enough. Um, well, what does this all mean for you? What what can you gain out of reflecting on the life of Aleister Crowley? And I guess I could ask you a couple questions. How does he strike you? Is, is, is there anything in that life deserving of emulation? I, I know, you know, his ability to challenge and his willingness to challenge every cultural moray uh, makes him a heroic figure but, you know, you have to ask yourself, what did he ever accomplish in his life? What, what has come out of it? If you look at a um, mystical teacher like Rudolf Steiner, you can see the fruits, the, the uh, development of biodynamic farming, the Waldorf education, the science of eurythmy, the style of painting. I don't see any of that coming from Crowley. And yet, I, I do feel that philosophically, he belongs in the tradition of Nietzsche. He belongs, certainly, there's a link between Crowley and Leary. So, uh, for me, it's a mixed bag, ultimately. But I, I try to... <laughs> I try to, with all of the, the people I end up studying, thinking, you know, what are the positive things I can get out of this? And I do tend to emphasize the positive more than the negative, but I don't think that's necessarily good advice for you. Where do you stand with regard to the such a controversial figure who was once viewed as the most evil man in the world?
I'll leave you with that thought. And once again, thank you for being with me.